over to cover with Jennifer Stone. Stay with us. Happy ending, nice and tidy. It's a rule I learned in school. Get your money every Friday. Happy endings are the rule. So divide up. In darkness from the ones who walk in light. Light them up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadows out of This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw, and today is June the 2nd, 2 June 2009. Um, the war on women has gone from a state of siege to a reign of terror. The latest maniac uh, has shot and killed Dr. George Tiller. I hope you have had a chance to hear the uh, interviews with that good man. Uh, he has, uh, what is it, uh, too good to be true kind of individual. This murder took place in church where Dr. Tiller was acting as an usher in his Lutheran house of worship. The rage that I feel is intensified somewhat by the lack of rage I encounter talking about this to so many people. Uh, they seem a little confused, you know, ignorance. Um, <laughs> they don't seem to know um, anything about what I would call, what do you call that, basic human decency. Our retro society uh, changing, altering. I I feel at a loss. Uh, the feminist fist in the air makes everyone wince, you know. I feel like I'm oozing, creeping back into the dark ages, the ninth century. Uh, at the same time, I know that there are more enlightened individuals around today than ever before. You know, that that strange thing, best of times, worst of times. Uh, you know, women in Afghanistan sometimes seem to me to be sharper uh, than some of us, some of our American, uh, what do we call them? Uh, it's a blunted affect. They're in this TV trance. I guess they've been listening to um, the right wing. Uh, I, I have come to believe in my great age that most people... Believe what they want to believe. They need to feel good about themselves. They select the belief and, you know, they go with that. Um, the so-called pro-lifers, they uh, seem to say, don't confuse me with the facts, you know. I don't know how they manage this trick, uh, how they manage to avoid reality. I think of the 19th century and that old Victorian Charlie Dickens. He, he always said that there were twin evils 
in every age, in every society, the twin evils, he said, were ignorance and want. And of the two, ignorance was the more to be feared. In his fables and stories, Dickens personified ignorance and want as a little boy and a little girl. You know, they were wretched and dressed in rags. And I use this image when I was a school teacher, and I like to ask the kids, the children, to distinguish between these two problems or evils, say, um, oh, in the ghetto, say, uh, I would ask them, what's worse, no money or no knowledge? This was a great essay topic. It could go on for years, years, years. Uh, we talked about all the ways that men and women as well, women too, the ways that men and women are ignorant, ignorant about reproduction, about gender, about sexuality, about babies, about women's health, about family planning. I remember young men asking me about vasectomies, and uh, I had to sit down and actually give them the name of doctors. I was scared to do this because the public schools are very touchy about those things. I remember my father back in the day, way, way back in the 50s, I overheard him telling his patients, you know, young men, that uh, vasectomy was final, you know. I mean, what if his wife and children were all killed in an automobile accident? Then he would have no no heirs, you know. And the young men, in some cases, you know, they they were in a bad way, you know. The good wife wouldn't let them in the bedroom. And they... Uh, we're trying to do the right thing. Uh, uh, the thing is such a problem. I, I thought it would have been straightened out by now. It's the 21st century. Uh, for those of KPFA's listeners who teach, those of you, um, I mean, most of you know all this stuff. It isn't that you don't understand, uh, but... If you need something to back up your arguments, you know, books, plays, movies, they're all over the place. First of all, I would recommend Susan Faludi's book, Backlash. You can get the paperback in stores that came out in the 80s. Susan Faludi is a sharp journalist. She examined at great length the pathology of these ignorant activists, you know, uh, Randall Terry, the guy who runs Operation Rescue, she does a real job on him. He, he, uh, figured out that the abortion issue was, um, a pot of gold. He's made a fortune. All he did was, uh, send out the word and oh, how the money poured in. These people act as if they have license to practice medicine. Come to think of it, I was trying to remember the other day uh, whether Congress itself has any medical credentials. I don't think so. I think we've got one doctor, maybe two doctors in our Congress. Anyway, we know that it's the lawyers who are in charge of this horror, this business. Uh, if any of these guys had to spend a week on an OB ward, they might learn something anyway. 
medicine, obviously, uh, <laughs> is too complicated for our boys. Uh, backlash, the book Backlash, was written way back in the 80s, but I thought because Randall Terry has been in the news in connection with the bad-mouthing he gave uh, Dr. Tiller, I would quote you uh, a little bit of what Susan Faludi said about him. Now, I know that Randall Terry did not shoot Dr. George Tiller. The Pope did not shoot Dr. George Tiller. But these people, these institutions, these sociopolitical forces are the ones that give a kind of permission to sociopaths, psychopaths, actually, to flip out and uh, do bloody murder. Uh, my favorite, my, I think the most despicable uh, people are the clergymen, several of whom have refused to eulogize murdered health workers. How about that, you know? <laughs> Killed by a terrorist, but uh, since they were working in a an abortion clinic, you know, the clergyman didn't want to say anything. No final word over the grave. Uh, I'm looking here at notes and work that I did years and years ago uh, back in, what is this? This is 1993. Susan Faludi published Backlash, The Undeclared War Against American Women. She writes, the leading figure of the decade's militant anti-abortion crusade is Operation Rescue founder Randall Terry. <laughs> Footnote here, Randall Terry was raised by any number of feminist women. Big joke. Uh, his wife was the one who started it. She was uh, active in the um, uh, anti-abortion movement, and he went along with her one day, and uh, he... Uh, found a chance to be a hero and uh, he told his wife to quit her work. She was told to stay home and mow the lawn and uh, he got into it big time. Here's a quote from Randall Terry. This is a direct quote. He says that radical feminism gave birth to child killing. He says that these feminists, uh, quote, have vowed to destroy the traditional family unit. They hate motherhood, they hate children. Now, he goes on to offer an example. Margaret Sanger, the birth control pioneer, the founder of uh, Planned Parenthood early in the 20th century, Randall Terry refers to her as a, quote, whore. Again, a quote, Terry says, She was an adulteress and slept all over the place, all over the world, with all kinds of people. End quote. Now, it's not just abortion that he opposes. Randall Terry says that he would like to ban all contraception and, of course, call a halt to all premarital sex. He says he intends to deliver his own daughter to the wedding altar with her virginity intact. Again, we think of Hitler, and when he came to power, the first thing he did was to padlock the birth control clinics. 
ain't funny, Jennifer. It's so, what is it? It's so absurd and comical. I remember as a young woman, a foolish idealist, I, I labeled myself a socialist feminist. And I still tend to associate uh, patriarchal oppression with fascist fundamentalism, but all this sexism, it goes deeper than any other ism. It's the most fundamental other-ism, right, other-ism. I have to say that it's a primal dread of the power of women. Even I'm afraid of women. (laughs) Anyway, female sexuality is anathema to these patriarchal religious systems and social systems. Uh, I mean, come on. Who would go throw acid in the face of a schoolgirl? What the hell is that all about? Anyway, back in the day, long, long ago, back in the 1990s, there was another murder. Dr. David Gunn was murdered by Michael Griffin. Griffin said God was on his side. And he did get support and uh, financial backing from a Christian organization called Rescue America. I remember thinking at the time that the patriarchal paranoia was becoming very intense. Uh, Perhaps I thought this is backlash, that it's in direct proportion to the astonishing changes in women's consciousness. I mean, these women are defiant. There's just no question about it. Female autonomy is a fact. It's happening in the darndest places, (laughs) you know, like um, in the Arab countries. Goethe's Faust, uh, let's see, I remember the quote from Goethe's Faust. I used to use it in the classroom. Faust cried out, the mother's The mothers, how that strikes my ear. What is the word that I don't wish to hear? Patriarchy, yes. Patriarchy has always demonized the mother, mom, or worshipped her, or made her invisible. Anyway, dehumanized, you know. In our world where money is the measure of man... The work of the mothers, the mothering, is the lowest job on the wage scale. If the mothers are not worked to death without wages, they are demeaned as parasites. You remember Philip Wiley's book, Generation of Vipers? Back in 1942, I remember I was a mere tad. uh, But in the 40s, that book, Generation of Vipers, stained my entire generation with contempt for the mother, (laughs) the year I graduated from college, uh, uh, Philip Wiley annotated the 20th edition of that book, and he wrote, he says, never before, this is Philip Wiley annotating Generation of Vipers, never before, he wrote, has a great nation of brave and dreaming men absent-mindedly created a huge class of idle, 
middle-aged women. Now, that was 1955 when I graduated from college. And I guess, yes, I was part of the huge class of idle women. I thought I could spend my life in the arts. <laughs> Think again, Jennifer. Anyway, let's see what else I have here. I had one more funny to give you before I uh, talk about... Uh, this malevolent, uh, this malevolent act of murder. I want to go back to 1980, yes. I want to go back to the 1980 convention of the National Right to Life Committee. <laughs> this was my favorite for years, I remember. When we lectured on this subject, uh, we talked about the chill wind blowing. Justice Harry Blackman said that the handwriting is on the wall. The signs are evident, very ominous. A chill wind blows. These um, new decisions of the court cast into darkness the hopes and visions of every woman. He was writing about the Webster decision back in 89. That was one of the body blows in the war on women. It, What it did was throw the decisions back into the states so that we could have this chaos, you know, from state to state, all these problems. Uh, anyway, in the beginning of that decade, at the convention of the National Right to Life Committee, <laughs> Representative Henry Hyde, uh, the late Henry Hyde, you remember him? Remember him? He was one of the players in that great um, uh, uh, scandal of Bill Clinton when they tried to impeach Bill for um, some heavy petting. Henry Hyde had to confess that he too had sinned, you know, when he was young and foolish. Anyway, at the National Right to Life Committee, Henry Hyde described himself as, quote, a 653-month Fetus. Okay. More and more males after that reacted hysterically to the fate of the innocent fetus trapped, trapped in the body of a woman. <laughs> Slowly, I began to see the nature of the pathology. Um, here is a woman, this veritable collie, deciding that the life within her must go back into the cosmic cauldron. Enough is enough. Now, you know that that's going too far. In today's world, that's playing God. And the boys won't have it. The patriarchs shout, No copulation without population! No, no fornication without population. I see this as a shadow spreading over the world again. Um, I don't know whether we call it fascism or tyranny or the subjugation. I don't care what they call it. Uh, I'm afraid that um, as a, a good woman, yes, um, a journalist over in Eastern Europe, she said... Uh, Democracy wears boots, she said, in my part of the world. Um, anyway, I was thinking, uh, 
I was thinking that uh, this gender gap, this uh, problem of understanding, isn't going to change, at least not for a while, not until the the men come to the party. I remember years and years ago, uh, there was an effort on the part of a number of men to get on the bandwagon and... uh, help out, you know, uh, I think of those men who, uh, who love women. They're the sinners, you know. <laughs> yes. Ah, uh, the sinner, the man who is on the side of woman and trying to help her out. Uh, I guess back in 1968, I remember reading Wolfgang Letterer's book, The Fear of Women trying to do some classes, some studies, some uh, help for both women and men to understand where these discomforts come from. Uh, There are so many distortions, but that book, The Fear of Women, led me to a study of what I call the male flight response. You know, the the mama spank response, my own son would say. You know, once I I caught one of them, uh, I was chewing him out for something, and it turned out he hadn't done it at all. And I said, well, why didn't you react? And he said, well, I I, I knew I was guilty of something. You know, I knew I'd done something wrong. (laughs) Poor guy. Anyway, the male desire seems to be to escape from the clutches of earthly existence. That is, the clutches of mom, you know, whether they're celibate clergy or whether they're machismo types in the military. um, They they seem to want to go towards those institutions uh, that deny their source, that is, their mother, whether it's a literal mother or a figurative mother. You know, they want to go out into outer space. They want to go off. The earth. They don't want to go, you know, down into the ocean. That oceanic stuff, that, that's pretty Freudian stuff. Anyway, those of us who feel more at home in the, the area of feminist thought, uh, those of us who embrace anarchy, chaos, the great red communist world, chaos, yes, uh, uh, well, we can see and understand that patriarchal religions and systems demand that women be controlled, subjugated. Uh, I mean, uh, it's so difficult. The elder face, the pre-patriarchal face, seem to understand some of this. They they worked it out. Uh, the, the abnormal pathology seems to have come with the uh, patriarchal religions, uh, I don't know. I think of our species as being in desperate trouble because women are not in control of their own reproductive choices. Rape is not just a crime. It is dominion over the evolutionary process. When we dig, dig, dig back into nature, we could understand that we should limit our species. Otherwise, We will destroy ourselves. Uh, Now, I have so much material here that I haven't been able to synthesize, and 
I wanted to talk about the male psyche. Uh, it goes on and on and on forever. But today I did want to ask, I wanted to ask my good engineer, Veronica Faisant, I wanted to talk about this new judge. Because, uh, you know, so many of our patriarchal phallocrats, you know, believe that the judges, especially on the Supreme Court, should not have emotions or feelings, that they should be completely objective, whatever that means, you know. And I, I was wondering, Veronica, uh, I, I think, what is it, they're, they're accusing this woman of empathy. Uh, tell me a little bit. Can you tell me uh, everything about her seems to be politically correct. She's a Latina woman of middle years. Tell me, Veronica, does does she have a family? I mean, husband and children? Well, she does not have a husband. That's, right yeah. at this time. She did at one point in the past have she, one, and they were divorced. She's divorced. Yes, okay. no children. Okay, no children. Uh, she has one niece and twin nephews. Okay, so she's done what, what is it? She, she, she knows what she needs to know. She knew at age 10 that she was going to go to college and become an attorney. And it has, well, some people would say that she has sacrificed having a family. Uh, you know how people judge these things. Well, um, I don't know whether or not her health concerns had anything to do with that. You know, she was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at the age of 8. So, uh, of course, people have uh, type 1 diabetes going to have children, but she did not. Does that mean that she might live a shorter life? We want the woman, we want the, the judge on the court to be uh, a progressive who's going to live to be very old. Well, according to reports, she's in excellent health um, and that she definitely has her diabetes under control. So it's insulin dependent, but her bill of health says that she has it under control and uh, very well under control. I haven't had time to do the research. What I've heard on the radio and the things I've glimpsed in print indicate that we don't have much background on her attitude towards Roe versus Wade or reproductive rights. Are there any things that, you know, would give us a hint as to what she, I mean, I'm assuming she would uphold Roe versus Wade. Well, I'm not assuming that, actually. And part of the concern that people have, the conservatives who are looking for things, is that she's been... Kind of unpredictable, really, in her um, decisions. Good sign. And I feel as though she has been fairly objective. Yeah, good sign. They were particularly concerned about some of her decisions that related to race discrimination or gender discrimination, how she handled those things. But it sounds like she just strictly went with the facts and, you know, gave her opinion. Good Lord. Good Lord. Imagine, imagine, uh, what do you call that, uh, Sane, balanced, um, actually the, um, the judges on the Supreme Court have this wonderful opportunity to get real. Once, you know, once they're on the court, they can do the right thing. I don't know. It's pretty hard world, you know, when every step of the way you have to, uh, what is that, um, do payback to your political pals. But once you're on the Supreme Court, you can be a true, what is it, uh, Oh, what the kind of maverick? Yeah, well, that and you can also be Athena. You can you can be the sort of person who does things f- for the right. 
you know, more than even justice, to do right is the hardest thing anyone can do. I've never figured out how to do it. <laughs> well, Jennifer, one thing I find particularly interesting is that we uh, have Judge Souter, who was considered fairly conservative when he got uh-huh. on. Yeah. And turned out to be more on the moderate side of things, and I don't know why they're not giving her the same leeway. Yeah, I was looking at what I had written about Judge Souter in old day, and I'm, I was amazed. I was really worried, you know. I thought, oh, 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 oh. you know, he's just keeping it under wraps, you know, and he's going to give us a, a whack once he gets the job, and obviously he did the opposite. He got in the job and came out quite objective, or at least reasonable. I'd like to know more about him. The fact that he is called a confirmed bachelor intrigues me to no end. I don't know what that means. I think we have to let that one go. I remember at the time... For now, we're going to let it go. Well, what can we do? I, You know the rule. We do not out anyone unless they have done damage to the cause. If they have attacked or done something to undermine... um, same sex or, you know, if if they have done anything to homosexual rights, you know. No, no, we're not going to out him, Jennifer. We just want to no. know what confirmed bachelor means. That's all. Well, I know what it means. Never mind. I, I have a long paragraph on his male subjectivity, <laughs> you know, as opposed to female subjectivity. And I'll have to save it for next time. Thank you, Veronica. You're welcome, Jennifer. Thank you for engineering. And we will talk more about this good woman who will be up up in front of the Congress. Soon. This has been Jennifer Stone talking at you. I'll be back on the air Thursday morning at 8.20. Till then, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Up, boys. There's your picture. Drop the shadow.